2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning. We have been moving through the book of 2 Thessalonians. And as the Lord timed it and planned it, in the middle of 2 Thessalonians, the passage that we happen to come to today is a missions passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. So turn there, and as you're turning, I want to to tell you what I say every year at this time, which is this is one of my favorite weeks of the year in our church, Missions Week. Every year, we have the privilege of hearing messages from the Scriptures on missions. Every year, we have the privilege of hearing just a little slice of the missionary story from the life of some famous hero, missionary from the past. We've, in years gone by, thought about Lottie Moon, William Carey and Ann Judson, Jim Elliott last year, Eric Little. Next Sunday I have the privilege uh, of preaching missions to you from the life of Patrick of Ireland. But if we wanted to trace the missionary story and the missionary spirit all the way back to the beginning, the place where we would begin is with the story of the Apostle Paul. Anyone who's ever worthy of the title missionary, and it's a noble title, If anyone was ever worthy of that title, it would have been Paul. Now, a missionary by definition, as you know, is someone whose chief task is to go and spread the wonderful news of Christ and His perfect life and His sacrificial death and His resurrection outside of their culture. Many times outside of their language and most of the time outside of their own location. That's what missions is, is to get the Gospel out to the ends of the world. And if that's the definition of missionary, then Paul was the greatest. Paul was the missionary. Think about this. In a matter of only about two decades, this middle-aged Jewish man named Paul and a few associates who traveled with him preached and planted churches in major cities and in isolated little hamlets all across the Mediterranean basin. An area that stretches from Palestine in the east all the way to Rome in the West. And some people believe that after the New Testament closed, he got as far as Spain. But at least Palestine to Rome. Now, you picture yourself traveling from Boston to Miami by foot or sometimes with the use of a sailboat and starting churches all along that path. Starting churches in New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, D.C., Atlanta, and on down the coast. Starting churches in all the major cities, but also in tiny little coastal towns and towns further inland as well. That's the amount of ground that Paul covered. And often he stayed in one location for months, sometimes years at a time. And Paul did this preaching to people unlike those in Boston and Philadelphia and New York and D.C. and Atlanta Paul preached to people who had never heard of Jesus before. People who did not have, by and large, copies of the Bible that they could look at. Only a handful of Jews would have had that advantage that everyone in our country has the capability of having. He was preaching to people who were often violently opposed to his message. It's an amazing accomplishment when you think about what this little team of missionaries did. So I say again, Paul was the missionary. And... Consequently, he lived through many of the same limitations and frustrations and difficulties that we hear of today from our modern missionaries. Paul, when you read his story, had his travel plans blown off course. 
missionaries find themselves not being able to go when they think they're going to go. Paul knew what that was like. Paul knew what it was like to have squabbles and difficulties within the mission team, within the mission board. He and Barnabas had problems. Paul knew what it was like to have illness. You hear stories of missionaries with malaria and so on. Paul knew that. He knew what it was like to be so sick that he couldn't sleep at night, he tells us. He knew what it was like to face extreme temperatures. He talks about being freezing in the bottom of a dungeon, just like the extreme temperatures we've seen on the screen. He knew what it was like to have to haggle with the government over the status of what we would call his visa, his Roman citizenship. All of these things that missionaries face. And on top of that, the difficult and slow task of training brand new Christians from the ground up. People who last month were worshiping their ancestors and worshiping rocks and worshiping trees and worshiping statues. Difficult, difficult tasks that missionaries face. And Paul knew them all. And amid all this traveling and praying and struggling and preaching, there were a few handfuls of churches that were begun. Now sometimes we we imagine that Paul spread Christianity all over the known world at the time. And he came pretty close, but it's not uh, that every place in the world, or at least every place in Europe and And the Middle East had a church when Paul finished his work. That's not true, but yet his accomplishments are amazing, aren't they? Church after church, city after city, hamlet after hamlet, all on foot, all with great peril and danger to his life. He went about, as 3 John says, he went out for the sake of the name, not accepting anything from the Gentiles, just going for Jesus' sake and preaching the fact that Christ had lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death and risen on the third day so that we might have new life. That's the message that perhaps some of you need to receive this morning. It's the message that Paul preached at the ends of the earth. And so I conclude on the first Sunday of Missions Week that Paul is the man we want to hear from. I conclude particularly that this letter from the mission field, and that's what Second Thessalonians is. It's a letter from the mission field back to one of the churches he planted. I conclude this letter is worth listening to, particularly the passage over which we're going to drop anchor today, namely Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. So listen to the heartbeat of a missionary, the missionary, and see how it applies to us. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now, when you read this passage, particularly when you read verse 1, it's important to remember that Paul was the missionary who first brought the good news to the Thessalonians. The church members who were hearing this letter read some Sunday morning as they gathered could remember the time, not too long ago, when they were making sacrifices to blocks of stone. Some of them could remember the time, perhaps, when they were involved in ritual pagan prostitution. They could remember those things. And they could remember that day when they first heard the message of a living and a true God. 
They could remember when they first heard the message of a living and true God who has a Son who came into the world to offer them eternal hope. And they could remember the face and the voice that brought that message to them. The best message that any ears ever heard. And the face and the voice was that of Paul. And so when they heard these words, brethren, pray for us. They didn't hear what we so often hear, namely generic words from a missionary prayer bulletin or from a video of someone we've never met in a place we've never been. That's not the way they heard verse 1. When they heard, brethren, pray for us, they saw Paul's face. They heard his voice. They knew his struggles. And they prayed, probably much more fervently than they might have for someone they didn't know. Now what's my point? My point is not that we shouldn't pray for missionaries that we don't know. I don't want you to come to that conclusion. In fact, I want to encourage you to pray for missionaries that you don't know. I want to encourage you to get a book like this, Operation World, which talks about every country and most of the people groups in the world and tells you how to pray for them in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want one of these, you can ask me and I will find a way to get you one. So I'm not saying don't pray for missionaries that you don't know. What I'm saying is get to know more missionaries. You will pray better if you know the face and hear the voice of the missionary when you're thinking about praying for them. You will. And that was what was true of the Thessalonians. Paul spoke to people he knew. They heard his voice, they saw his face, and they prayed. Surely they prayed. And I want the same to be true for you and for me. I want us to be able more and more to read missionary newsletters or hear missionary reports and in our mind's eye see faces and hear voices that we know and recognize. That's why we've worked hard through the years to give you the opportunity to have a handful of missionaries here personally so you could shake their hand and hear their story and know their face and know their voice. Because you'll be so much more likely to pray for them. And that's why we labor week by week at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning in our prayer time to put some missionary's face on a sheet of paper with prayer requests so that you can remember them and pray for them. So that when you hear from them, brethren, pray for us, it means something to you. That's also why we printed their faces in the bulletin today. Some of you have this sheet in pink and some of you in white, but here are seven Faces, or actually a lot more faces than that, but seven pictures, seven families, missionary families that we support in different places in the world. We put that there so that you might remember them and pray for them. And as God would have it, there are seven of them. And there are seven days in the week. And this is Missions Week, a week to pray for missions. And so you get the idea. Seven faces, seven stories, seven brethren, pray for us kind of things happening. One for every day of the week. And I want to encourage you to pray for one of these families every day of the week. Or pray for them all every day of the week. But at least one. Now some of you know these faces quite well. I want to just point them out to you. David and Tiffany Bass, we already mentioned them. They serve in Central Asia. The population there is 99.7% Muslim. There are almost no churches in that language that they are speaking and learning. We need to pray for them. It's very difficult where they are. Tom and Nino Beavers, right here in Cincinnati, working among the Russian speakers here in this city. People from all the former Soviet republics who've come to America, living in this area. Tom and Nino are starting a church among them. 
Aaron and Tiffany Epps are in Brazil. Aaron's training church planters in Brazil who will go out into the Amazon rainforest and plant churches in the hidden villages of the jungle. Lynn Hyde is in the Philippines doing the same thing. A team of missionaries are there working with young Filipinos who are preparing to go themselves and be missionaries on the continent in East Asia, places like China, Korea, uh, and so on. The Mathenians are in Ethiopia training men, again, to do the same thing, men who will go and plant churches in unreached areas of Ethiopia. The Melkotes are in New Mexico working among the Navajo tribe, particularly with children and young people there sharing Jesus with them. And John and Ashley, whom you know, are leaving in less than a month for Kenya to do a month's worth of medical missions in Tenwick Hospital in the nation of Kenya. Some of you know these faces. Some of you know these stories. Some of you could have told uh, the information that I just gave yourselves. And when you hear brethren pray for us, you think of these folks. And some of you need to get more acquainted with these faces and these voices and get to know these people better. When they're in, when we have them in, you need to make the effort to be there so that when it comes time to pray for missions, you hear a voice that you know and you see a face that you recognize. I told you Sunday night next week is a wonderful opportunity. Anthony is here. He can't be at our church, but he's five miles away. It's a wonderful opportunity to go and to know what God is doing among these missionaries we support. And even if you can't meet them face to face, you can still, in some measure, get to know them. One thing you can do is sign up for their newsletters. There's a a sign-up sheet out in the hallway. Five of these missionary families have a regular newsletter that they send out. And you can put your name there and check the ones that you'd like to receive and you'll hear from them every month or every quarter or however often they update. You can add them to your regular prayer list. You can hold on to this and put it somewhere where you'll see it. There are all sorts of ways, if you can't get to know the missionaries personally, to still get to know them, to get to know what they do and to pray and pray and pray for them. And this week, as I said, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to pray for seven of them, one each day of the week. Now, that's Paul's main intention, and that's my main intention this morning, to get you to pray for your missionaries. And I'm simply contending on top of that that the Thessalonians were much more likely to pray for their missionaries, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, because they knew them. Because they knew them. And I think the same will be true of us. So will you make an effort to get to know your missionaries? Will you make an effort beginning this week to pray for your missionaries? Brethren, pray for us. Now, the secondary question, but it's still a big question, is once you've decided you're going to pray for these families or for other missionary families that you know, for the Udmurt people and those missionaries working among them, once you've decided you're going to pray, what do you pray for? How do you pray for missionaries? Well, again, a start would be to get their newsletters and they'll tell you these are the things specifically that we need lifted up in prayer. But even more broadly than that, Paul, in the next couple of verses here, gives us some basic ways that we can pray for any and every missionary. He says, pray for us, number one, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly, number two, that the word of the Lord would be glorified, and number three, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Three requests that could be prayed for any 
and every missionary. I want to encourage you to jot them down as we talk this morning, or as I talk. Jot them down on the back of your bulletin insert. And that way you'll have the requests and the faces, and you will be on your way to praying for our missionaries. Let's think about each one of these briefly. Number one, pray, Paul says, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. Rapidly. That's the key word. In essence, Paul is asking the Thessalonians, he's asking us to pray that our missionaries would have success and have it quickly. That the gospel wouldn't spread at a snail's pace, but that it would spread rapidly. What he's saying is, pray that it would continue to spread at the rate that it has. When Paul spoke these words, the gospel had been spreading rapidly. I told you he got the gospel all along the eastern seaboard in our terminology. It's amazing. And he's just saying, pray that God would continue to spread His Word quickly. Paul, again, got the Gospel to an area from Boston to Miami without technology, without quick travel, towards people who never heard of Jesus before and many of them who hated His guts and He did it in 20 years' time. Pray that our missionaries would have that kind of success. God has to give it. They can't make it happen. But God can. Furthermore, the other apostles had similar success. The book of Acts doesn't tell us very much about the other apostles, but extra-biblical sources that are fairly reliable seem to indicate that within a century of Jesus' death, the missionaries, the apostles and others, had gotten the gospel all the way to India in the southeast and as far as Great Britain in the other direction. Within a century. It's amazing how rapidly the gospel spread. All of that by the power of feet and on horseback and in the winds that would blow in the sails of the boat. Pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. In the strength that God supplies, the early missionaries overcame every obstacle, every opposition that they faced to spread the word of God quickly. And there were men and women then of tremendous zeal and faithfulness, weren't they? So part of praying that the Word would spread rapidly is that our missionaries would be zealous and faithful. We need to pray for our missionaries, that God would make them this way, that God would overcome for them the obstacles that they face when they spread the Word. Our missionaries face, as I said, the same kind of obstacles that Paul faced. Let me just remind you of a few cases of that. We can pray for the Epps who in Brazil are trying to reach people that can only be accessed by boating up the Amazon River into the unknown of the jungle. They can't fly a plane to where they want to go. They can't land a helicopter. They can't drive a car. They have to get in a boat and boat slowly, slowly, slowly up the river. With all the dangers that you can imagine in the jungle, they're probably not as bad as we think, but they are difficult. We need to pray for them, that God would give them grace and that God would give them endurance Give their partners endurance as they step back a hundred years or more in their travel methods. Pray for them. God would help it happen quickly. We can pray for the Basses. The Basses live in a place where coldness towards Jesus is constant. It is organized in many cases. It's everywhere they turn. We need to pray that God gives them love and He gives them patience to continue to spread and spread and spread the Word and that He softens hearts so that the work would speed up and more and more people in Central Asia would come to know Christ. We can pray for the beavers who face obstacles. 
They live in America, and so many things are very easy for them. But the difficult task for Tom and Nino here in Cincinnati is that they live in a city of two million people, almost all of whom are English speakers, and it's very difficult just to find the Russian-speaking people. How do you find Russian-speaking people? It's very difficult to find them and track them down. They don't all live in one neighborhood or on one street. And so it's difficult. It slows down their work and we can pray for them. We can pray for John and Ashley. They're going to go to Kenya and they're going to see things in that hospital that they're not used to seeing in America. They're going to face cultural and language difficulties sometimes. They're going to make their work hard. But we need to pray that God would make them faithful and encourage them and that the word of the Lord in Kenya would spread rapidly and be glorified through that hospital. So the missionaries overcame obstacles to spread the gospel quickly. But it wasn't all obstacles. God also gave the early missionaries advantages too. The biggest, for the Apostle Paul anyway, was that the entire Mediterranean world from Rome all the way to Palestine spoke the same language, Greek. And it was all run by the same government, the Roman Empire. And Paul was a citizen, so he could move about as freely as he liked. And this greatly sped up the spread of the gospel. It's not unspiritual to say that that simple, mundane things that God does in our lives can speed up the spread of the gospel. That's what happened for Paul. He got to go to every city without having to have his badge always checked, and he always knew the language of the people. And he could preach right away. And so we need to pray for our missionaries, not only that God helps them overcome obstacles to spread the word rapidly, but that he helps them take advantage of advantages, opportunities that he gives. And he's given us advantages, hasn't he, that Paul didn't have. We have Bibles printed. Paul didn't have that. It took weeks to make one copy of the Bible by hand. We have technology to get us to the ends of the earth in one day. When Mark and I went to India, we were almost literally 180 degrees around the other side of the world. And we got there in one day. Amazing advantages that we have. And we need to pray that our missionaries will take advantage of the opportunities that God gives them, just like Paul did in his day. Let me give you one example of that. Lynn Hyde works in the Philippines, as I said, training young Filipinos to be missionaries in East Asia. And the reason why she's doing that instead of going to East Asia herself is because those young Filipinos can walk into East Asia and be readily accepted in ways that you or I or Lynn could never be, simply because we're American. And so she's training people who have an advantage, similar to the advantage Paul had being a Roman citizen. They are from that part of the world. They understand the culture, and more than that, they are much more readily accepted in the culture than we are. And we need to pray for her that God continues to help her and her team and those young people that are being trained to take advantage of that opportunity to be like Paul and to move about freely. In short, we need to pray for our missionaries that God will do what he did for Paul, namely give them grace to overcome every obstacle and give them wisdom to make use of every advantage so that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. One more thing before we move on, and that is that in praying for this rapid spread of the gospel, Paul calls us there in verse 1 at the end to to remember how the gospel came to us, doesn't he? Pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified just as it also did with you. 
He's reminding the Thessalonians, remember how the gospel came to you and how God gave us these advantages and we overcame the obstacles even though there was a riot in the town. The gospel spread. Pray that that same kind of thing would happen everywhere we preach. And we can remember that as well. Someone overcame difficult obstacles to get the gospel to the United States of America and make it as readily available as it is. Many people. Someone took advantage of an opportunity to plant this church where you hear the gospel every week and where some of you heard it for the very first time. Someone was zealous to share the gospel with you personally. And remembering how people have overcome and taken advantage of opportunities, we need to pray that our missionaries would do the same. Pray that the Lord, word of the Lord would spread rapidly. Number two, pray that the word of the Lord would be glorified. Still in verse 1. Notice, Paul doesn't just pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly, but that it would spread rapidly and be glorified. Now what does he mean by that? Well, how was the word of the Lord glorified in Thessalonica? Some of you remember, I shared this when we began 1 Thessalonians and again when we began 2 Thessalonians, that Paul planted the church in Thessalonica and we have that recorded for us in Acts 17. And as he preached in Acts 17, a riot occurred in the city because of what he was preaching. The people of the city became angry at the message of the cross and the resurrection and things got so bad at one point that one of the new Christians, at least in the church in Thessalonica, was imprisoned simply because he was guilty by association for hanging around with Paul. And Paul himself had to leave the city because things began to be so difficult. So we're asking the question, how was the word of the Lord glorified in Thessalonica? Well, it was glorified like this. It seems like that riot and that difficulty and those arrests and Paul having to flee would have been the perfect opportunity for these Thessalonian believers to think again, doesn't it? Seems like the perfect opportunity for them to say, listen, this is Christianity thing. It's difficult. It's going to make everybody upset. It was just a phase in my life. I'm going to put that aside. I'm not going to, going to suffer for this gospel that this guy's been preaching for three weeks here. Perfect opportunity for the church just to shut down and to go back to business as usual. But they didn't. They stuck it out. The Word of God hadn't just come to Thessalonica. It hadn't simply been listened to in Thessalonica. It hadn't simply been agreed with by a few people in Thessalonica. It had been glorified, treasured, loved, suffered for. And that's what he means. That's what he's asking us to pray for. Not just that the Word would get out as quickly as possible, but that as it gets out as quickly as possible, that it would be glorified, treasured, loved, suffered for. The Word of God doesn't simply need to move quickly. It needs to be glorified. It needs to make a difference in the lives of real people. Far too often in our culture, we're so concerned with spreading God's Word rapidly or really just building a bigger church empire rapidly that we don't really concern ourselves with whether the Word is glorified or not, responded to appropriately or not. We don't really pay attention to whether it just people's lives as it should so in America, we want to dress the truth in hip clothing and, and, and surround it with cool music, smooth it out with clever communication, so that as many people as possible will come to church. And that's not a bad goal, that as many people as possible would come to church, but not at the expense of the Word of God being glorified. 
Not at the expense of the Word of God simply being made palatable instead of powerful. The Word of God is life-altering. If it's going to be glorified, it must be life-altering. And the same kind of Rapidity without glory is happening on the mission field in some places too. Now, in North Africa and the Middle East, across Asia, they don't dress the gospel up in cool clothing like we do here. That would be silly. But they do instead, some missionaries, a handful anyway, are dressing the gospel up in Muslim clothing. Now, what I don't mean is, is that they, the missionaries themselves dress in the, the garb of the culture. They should do that. What I'm saying is they're taking the gospel in some places in the world and making it look as though it's almost the same thing as Islam. As though the Bible teaches almost the same thing as the Quran. And in doing so, these handful of missionaries, and the number is growing, are producing converts who still call themselves Muslims and who are still enslaved by the same rules and regulations and false beliefs that they ever were. They've just added a little bottle of Jesus to their medicine cabinet. So listen to Paul carefully in verse 1. We must pray that the Word of God will spread rapidly, but not at the expense of it being glorified, not at the expense of producing converts who won't identify themselves as Christians, not at the expense of a watered-down gospel in America that leaves converts, quote-unquote converts, who will flee in a time of persecution. Not at the expense of confusing the truth with error. Pray that the Word of God will spread rapidly and be glorified. Let me give you one more for instance. When I went to Ethiopia to teach there, these men who were preparing for ministry, I was working with the cream of the crop. They didn't just send any old man, they or any young man. They sent the cream of the crop to the capital city from the Ethiopian Baptist denomination there that was begun by our Southern Baptist missionaries. So I was working with the best of the best. Now, this is a denomination that uh, was just started about 50 years ago. And now it's spread over most of Ethiopia. There are lots, there's lots of work to do, but there are churches in almost every region of the country now. So, without doubt in spite of the problems of travel that they have, the opposition that they face, this is a denomination that has spread the Word of God rapidly. But, as I taught the men, I found that many of them were very confused. And I shared with you that it seemed for many of them that they almost thought of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as two different gods. As though they are a God of anger and wrath and then a God of grace. Really what they thought is that God changed His character in the middle of the Bible. Not that He was gracious in the Old Testament. They didn't see that. Or that He was still a God of wrath in the New Testament. They couldn't see that. And further, Anthony has since discovered, as he taught, and I shared this with some of you as well, that the translator, one day when he was teaching, one of the top two or three leaders in the denomination Anthony was teaching on sin, and after it was over, the translator said to him, I never really thought about the fact that sin is an offense against God. I just always thought it was bad for me and maybe for my family. One of the top leaders in the denomination. If he doesn't understand sin, then the cross is emptied of its value and meaning, isn't it? Now, 
I don't know what the early missionaries taught 50 years ago to these men, and I don't know how they taught it. But it seems from the results at least possible that they taught the Word of the Lord in such a way that it would spread rapidly, that churches would be started all over the place, but they taught it in such a way that it wouldn't be glorified. They taught it in such a way that it wouldn't be understood as it should be, treasured as it must be, applied as it should be. And in so doing, they left many of the people with half a gospel. That's not what we want. Paul says, pray for your missionaries. That they'd spread the word rapidly, but that they'd be accurate. That they'd be right. Even that the manner in which they share it would give honor and glory to God. That people would be thrilled with the word of God and that they would know the word of God and love the word of God and treasure the word of God and be willing to suffer for the word of God. Pray that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified. Number three, he says, pray, verse two, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. It's a simple request. It's an important request. Paul simply wanted the Thessalonians to pray for his safety. I don't believe he was asking this because he was afraid to suffer or die. I think he was asking this so that he might continue doing his work, spreading the word rapidly and with glory. That's why he wanted to pray for safety. And he had good reason to request something like this. Let me just read to you 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27. Just listen to why Paul might want us to pray for his safety. He says that he was beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the, in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul was constantly facing danger. And our missionaries, though not harrowed in every way like Paul was, face some of the same dangers. Consider that the Basses, again, live in a country that's 99.7% Muslim. And they live in a country where this past Spring, three Christian men were slaughtered like cattle as they met for a Bible study. In their very country, men that the Basses didn't know personally but were connected with them through some other missionaries. They're in a place of danger. We need to pray for them. That God would rescue them from perverse and evil men. Pray and think about the Athenians. Anthony works with men as I said a few weeks ago, some of whom live and will be preaching and planting churches in heavily Muslim areas. Areas where they may be and some already have been discriminated against. Where they may have their property taken away or burned down. Where they may be harmed for their faith. And Anthony's sending them out like Jesus sent his apostles out as sheep in the midst of wolves and we need to pray for those men. And we need to pray for Anthony because as he begins to go and visit these men when they plant churches, hopefully in another year or so, as he goes to those places to visit, it's not beyond possibility that he could face the same kind of danger. Consider Lynn Hyde, who 
four years ago, I believe it was, that her husband was killed by terrorists in the Philippines where she has gone back to work. Our missionaries smile when they take their pictures and send them to us. But some of them face very grave circumstances and they never know which day may be their last. And so we need to pray for them that the Lord, who is faithful, will rescue them from perverse and evil men. And let me just say, in addition to these specific instances, the missionary women, Tiffany Bass, Tiffany Epps in particular, Lynn we already mentioned, Amber Mathenia, these missionary women who live overseas face constant threats in cultures that do not come anywhere near to the United States in their protection of and respect for women. So every time they go out to shop, they don't know if they'll be harassed or made fun of or even worse. Always at risk. And we need to pray that God would rescue them from perverse and evil men. And while you think about that, I want you to notice verse 3. Verse 3, Paul says, But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Strange. It's a bit of a diversion from his missionary line of thinking. He's been asking the Thessalonians to put their eyes on the mission field, and now he's putting their eyes back on their own situation in Thessalonica. He doesn't say the Lord will protect us missionaries. He says the Lord will protect you from the evil one. God will take care of you, he says. Why does he change the subject from the missionaries to the church folks? I think perhaps to remind the Thessalonians that God who has been and who will be faithful to protect them as they face perverse and evil men is the same God that they pray to as they pray that He will protect Paul and Silas and Timothy from perverse and evil men. He's saying God protects you. God will protect you. God has protected you. So please pray that God would protect us as well. And all of us can relate to that because we live in America. And we're protected more than any people practically on the face of the earth. God has been so good to us. He's been so merciful to us that we can stand up and preach anything we want without fear that someone is going to arrest us or discriminate against us. God, verse 3, has strengthened us and He's protected us from the evil one. And we should pray that in His wisdom that God would show similar goodness to his missionary children who are scattered across the world. So Paul again makes three prayer requests of the Thessalonians. That the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. That they'd overcome every obstacle and take, make use of every advantage. That the word of the Lord would be glorified. That it wouldn't be just heard, but it would be treasured, suffered for, loved. And he says, pray that the Lord would rescue us from perverse and evil men. Now having made those requests... Paul starts to draw this thought to a close in verse 4 when he says this, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Now what is it that they had commanded? Well, a lot of things in the book of 2 Thessalonians. But most immediately they commanded pray for us, right? Verse 1. And so... Now Paul is saying, we just commanded you to pray for us and we have every confidence in the Lord that you're doing just that and will continue to do just that. 
In modern, ver- modern times, verse 4 uh, would be like the email that you may get from a missionary. And at the end they say, thank you so much. And we thank God so much because we know that you all are praying for us. That's what Paul is saying. We thank God because we know that you all are praying for us. Now I wonder if you've ever gotten an email like that from a missionary. Or perhaps you've heard a missionary stand here in one of our services and say that to our congregation. We thank you because we know that you're praying for us. Maybe you just had another believer in the church or someone at work say, I'm so glad I I know I can trust that you're praying for me. It can make you feel kind of guilty sometimes, can't it? Because sometimes someone says, I know you're praying for me, I can feel your prayers, and inside you're going, I haven't been praying like I should. Or we as a church haven't been praying like we should. Make you feel bad. They say that, boy, do I feel guilty now, the Thessalonians might have said. I've only prayed for Paul once or twice since he left this place. Perhaps some of them felt that kind of guilt. And perhaps some of us need to feel that kind of guilt today if we have neglected to pray for our missionaries. But, overall, Paul could honestly say of the Thessalonians, I don't think he was trying to make them feel guilty. I think he was being honest. And he could say to them, verse three, verse 4, we know that you're praying for us and we thank God for that. And I think that our missionaries could say the same. I think that by and large they could honestly say to us as a church, as a whole, we know that you're praying for us. We thank God for you because you pray for us. You care for us. You give to us. And I want to commend you for that. The missionaries who know you best comment on that to me about how this church in particular stands out to them. And I want to say to you, keep doing that. I have confidence in the Lord, Paul says, that you are doing and you will continue to do what we command. Not just that you're doing it and you say, wow, we did it. Now it's someone else's turn. We passed the baton. But that you'll continue to do what we command. And if some of you are here and you're saying, well, the church as a whole may be commendable for that, but I know I haven't been praying for missionaries as I should, then today's the day to start. Today's the day when you have all seven faces in front of you on a sheet of paper. You have some at least brief prayer requests. You have a week to think about missions. It's going to be brought to your attention on Wednesday again and next Sunday. Today's the day to begin. Next time those missionaries come and they stand in front of you and they say, we thank God because we know you are praying for us, then you won't have to feel guilty. You don't need to feel prideful, but you won't need to feel guilty either. Now as we draw our time to a close, let's think very quickly about verse 5. Verse 5, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Again, this is a little bit odd because normally we think about, as we've done exclusively today, we think about church folks praying for missionaries. But here, at the end of Paul's missionary newsletter, Paul says that he, the missionary, is praying for the church folks. Do you see that? Verse 5 is Paul's prayer for them. Verse 1, he says, you pray for us. Verse 5, he says, we pray for you. And I think our missionaries would say the same. Pray for us and know that we pray for you. What kinds of things do they pray? 
probably the same things that Paul prays for the Thessalonians in verse 5. Namely, that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In other words, our missionaries pray, or they should pray, I hope they pray, that we, Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church, would show, verse 5, the love of God to them. That God would direct our hearts into His love and that it would be showered on them. And that God would direct our hearts to remain as steadfast to our missionaries as Christ is to them and to us. Isn't that what he says? I pray that you'll have the steadfastness of Christ. Christ who never leaves his church. Christ who will never divorce his bride. Christ who will never forget his people. Our missionaries, I hope, can pray of us and God will answer their prayer that we will be as steadfast towards them as Christ is towards us. They pray that we won't forget them. They pray that we won't fail to pray for them. They pray that we'll give cheerfully to missions. They pray that we might join them in ministry where there are opportunities. Now, the only question left then is, are their prayers being fulfilled in you and in your family? Are you praying steadfastly for your missionaries? Is the love of God flowing from you to them in your prayers and in your giving? Are the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ coming from the Heavenly Father through you and being showered upon our missionaries? I want to pray now that they would be. Father, You have given us a commission to take the good news to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all the nations to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and God there's work yet to do there's work to do in the Russian Republic of Udmurtia there's work to do in Central Asia there's work to do among the Russian speakers here in Cincinnati so many of whom don't know you there's work to do in the jungles of Brazil. There's work to do in the Philippines. There's work to do in Ethiopia and in New Mexico. There's work to be done in Kenya. God, we also think about the other countries that are on our hearts. We think about Nigeria and we know there's work to do there and Japan and we know there's work to do there. There's work to do in our schoolhouses and our offices tomorrow morning. But this week, Father, set our gaze on the unreached peoples of the earth and particularly set our gaze on our family that we've sent out. Some of them as sheep in the midst of wolves. We've sent them out receiving nothing from the Gentiles, only from us, God, only from your people. We sent them out for the glory of the name of Christ who died for us. And we ask that you make us steadfast, and that you direct our hearts into the love of God that should be showered from us upon them. And we pray, God, that whether we succeed or whether we fail in praying for and supporting our missionaries, that you would not fail them. That you would not give up on them, God, that you would be faithful. And we know that you are, God. You've promised that your name will be glorified 
in the ends of the earth, that every tongue and tribe and people and nation will worship you and will worship your son. And we believe then that you are going to make your missionary successful, that you are going to make your word spread rapidly and be glorified, and that you're going to protect them from perverse and evil men. And we pray that you would do it. We pray that you would make us a part of it. And we pray, God, that you would send some in this room to be on the other end of the prayers, to be those who carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Prepare them. Prepare us to pray for and support them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.